zero. Now, plane zero. Welcome to Arnie Geddon. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Tony G. And we are here this week to talk about 1987's phenomenon extraordinaire, The Running Man. And boy, am I glad to be here. And The Running Man is sort of a period piece now, I guess, because it was set in 2017. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely highlights the future of the 80s. (laughs) Although, you know, you look now, it's all about 80s nostalgia. So maybe this movie is actually feels very contemporary. Maybe this is appropriate that in 2017 everyone's evoking the 80s. I certainly feel like it's contemporary. <laughs> I'm wearing shoulder pads right now. And so. I'm wearing a uh, neon yellow unitard. <laughs> so let's get into The Running Man because this was a reasonable hit when it was released in 1987. 87 was really, I think maybe we could make the argument, this might have been... Like, the peak of Arnold, at least in terms of establishing Arnold as we know and love him. He was certainly a bona fide star by this point. Yeah, and you have Predator this same year. Now, Predator was a pretty big hit. It was the 12th biggest hit of the year, uh, making $59 million. Uh, Number one was Three Men and a Baby, uh, if if you recall from our Predator episode, which adjusted uh, for inflation, made $382 million. (laughs) You know, and I, I can't recall what exactly we said in the Predator episode, so I will spare you any uh, Gutenberg jokes. Thank you. <laughs> the big green jokes, you know, I just can't take them anymore. <laughs> That's right. So Running Man was definitely considered sort of the lesser Schwarzenegger movie of 1987. Um, it made uh, $38 million off of a $27 million budget, which adjusted is $86 million nowadays. So, I mean... It's still not a huge hit. $86 million now is not uh, that great for a movie of this sort of scope and size. But it did fine. Um, it was number 30th for the year, sandwiched between Blind Date, the Bruce Willis comedy, and Spaceballs. And it beat Spaceballs. And you're like, well, hey, Spaceballs was like pretty big deal, right? Yeah, well, of those three, uh, sorry, Blind Date, you're probably not going to be submitted to the Library of Congress. Have you seen Blind Date? No, I haven't. I have. It's not very good. Uh, probably why I haven't seen it. But then I was wondering, because Spaceballs is pretty well known and I thought loved, but apparently was beat by Running Man, which did sort of modestly well. And so I began to look at the list of what else Running Man beat. So in 1987, it beat The Lost Boys, Adventures in Babysitting, The Princess Bride, Harry and the Hendersons, and Police Academy 4, Citizens on Patrol. That's All a, classics. That's a pretty good list. <laughs> yeah, like, it shows you that these movies that are considered these great classics now, like, especially The Princess Bride, you know, they, they did okay. Yeah, I think you go from mediocre box office success to cult classic to uh, everyone thinks it was number one that year. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Now, The Running Man was sort of a weird production. Uh, it was uh, it, the whole thing kind of happened because the producer George Lindor, who owned a company like the number one seller of light wheelchairs, um, ran across the book in an airport by Richard Bachman. 
of Stephen King under a different name. Right. And he did not know it was Stephen King. And it took them quite a while to even figure out it was Stephen King. They didn't really know until they began to option the book rights. And they're like, why is this author so expensive? And it turned out that was why it was Stephen King. And uh, they brought in Steve D'Souza, who had written 48 Hours in Commando. So he was well-versed with Schwarzenegger. And um, I don't remember Schwarzenegger in 48 Hours. <laughs> he was Nick Nolte. and um he basically looked at this movie as something he wanted to kind of do like a death race 2000 or rollerball because in the book the actual game show was only like five pages and um there's also the problem that the ben richards character in the novel is kind of a sickly everyman well, that's something is I've actually read the book. Yes, uh, I I read it last summer, probably in the same same situation on a uh, like like a lot of Stephen King books. You know, the, you were traveling because you were selling wheelchairs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, wheelchairs <laughs> with crooked wheels. That's right. You got to make profit somehow, right? Exactly. Um, but like a lot of Stephen King books, uh, you know, the great great airport reading. Uh, don't necessarily know if I'd put the Running Man on my uh, Norton anthology list. Right. And uh, the book is significantly different from the movie. Yeah. It's uh, it's surprising that they got shorts. It's surprising that they had to option a book in order to get this <laughs> because it's so uh, far removed from the movie, actually, that uh, you'd think they could just have cut out the parts that would have gotten them sued. Right. And originally, they were actually looking more at an everyman, or at least what passes for an everyman on the cinema screen, which is Christopher Reeve. And he wound up doing Superman 4. Um, it's, it's funny how their t- uh, archetypal everyman is the Superman. Yeah. <laughs> no kidding, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Does that make you feel good about yourself? Um, well, <laughs> nothing makes me feel good about myself. If I'm being beaten by both Schwarzenegger and Christopher Reeve here, I got I got an uphill battle. That's quite uh, true. I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> so, originally, George P. Cosmatos was going to direct this movie, and he had directed Rambo 2, so he was a big deal. And he was really inspired by this story because his family had suffered under the Nazis in Greece, so he really wanted to emphasize the totalitarian aspects of this science fiction world. He thought that could be really something. You see it in the, in the finished movie. So obviously, you know, some of his vision remained and definitely uh, worked into D'Souza's script, I think, as well. Uh, ultimately, he left just over budget issues. Uh, he wanted $27 million and they wanted to do 18 and he was like, okay, goodbye, even though they wound up spending $27 million anyways. But probably because of uh, the change in director. Yeah. So he left... And then they flirted with bringing on Alex Cox, who did Repo Man, as well as a German director named Carl Schenkel. Uh, they were briefly attached, like, for up to maybe two weeks or a week, and then they were gone. Uh, and then they brought in Ferdinand Fairfax, who was a British TV director. He wanted to reimagine the whole thing as, like, a Truman Show-type movie, where you're just watching the broadcast, and that's that. Hmm. And they said, ultimately, he was making the movie, quote-unquote, too British. And it just became not what they wanted. And so they dismissed him. And then they went to Andrew Davis. And Andrew Davis was just coming off the Chuck Norris movie, Code of Silence. Jeez, how many directors were attached I to this know, film? Right? This is unbelievable. I know. Well, you know, you got to explain how you get to Starsky. Um, and uh, so they bring in Andrew Davis, who's a really good director. And um, 
he actually uh, brought a lot to it. He hired Paula Abdul to do all the choreography. He hired Mick Fleetwood, Dweezil Zappa, and the, the genius move of uh, Richard Dawson, bringing him in as Killian. Right. And he really established the tone and got rid of the uh, eccentricities that Fairfax brought to it. And he was fired over exploding hockey pucks. Really? Yes, because as you know, uh, Sub-Zero, the character uh, played by Professor Toru Tanaka, shoots explosive hockey pucks at his enemies. Yeah. Originally, Andrew Davis believed that Schwarzenegger should pocket one of these things and at the very end of the movie, use it against Killian. And the uh, producers were very angry about this, as well as Steve D'Souza, because they said... Why has Schwarzenegger pocketed this weapon the entire movie while his friends have been dying around him? Well, that's a good point. So Andrew Davis left. <laughs> Sometimes it, you really got to wonder what uh, what goes on behind closed doors, uh, especially in the 1980s Hollywood. You, I always kind of get the impression there was a lot of cocaine going around. Right. And so Andrew Davis, don't feel bad for him. He went on to do The Fugitive. Uh, you know, a couple years down the road. Poor guy. Did uh, Is that how uh, the one-armed man lost his arm? <laughs> what? Explosive hockey pucks? <laughs> That's right. May, you know, Or maybe something a little different, like, you know, uh, an exploding golf ball. <laughs> <laughs> a tennis ball that blows up. We'll only know if we get a prequel. Yeah, that's right. Unfortunately, we got U.S. Marshals, which was a sequel. Uh, that was a little unfortunate. <laughs> but ultimately, Paul Michael Glasser was brought in, who was, uh, you know, Starsky on Starsky Hutch, and he moved into TV directing. And he only had two days to prepare. Ultimately, he was kind of a hired gun on this movie. A lot of the work was already done for him. Kind of like as we've, you know, been seeing in the air with uh, Ron Howard coming on to do the solo Star Wars movie. You know, it was kind of like everything's already good to go. You're just kind of stepping in to do the movie. Um, kind of a very strange choice to pick Paul Michael Glazer to bring in because, yeah. like, like you said, he was primarily a TV director. He'd done, uh, or t- he was a, primarily an actor. I mean, he's probably best known for for Starsky and Hutch. Um, he directed a, a a little bit of Miami Vice. He'd done, as far as I can uh, figure out, one other movie before. Um, and then he has since gone on to do very little in the way of motion pictures anyways. Uh, you know, he's done... Come on, shout out some highlights here. The Cutting Edge, if you recall. It's a... Uh, yep. You know, a Canadian film about... Uh, Ice skating. That's right. It's a romance. D.B. Yeah. Sweeney and Moira Kelly. Oh, man. I can't believe you can pull that out. Yeah. It's actually uh, a pretty good movie. The... Uh, the racist Kevin Bacon vehicle, the air up there. Oh, yeah. 1994, yeah. Mm-hmm. Real big... I remember kids in uh, school talking about that movie. And, and of course, uh, possibly, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to go all the way on this, but possibly Shaquille O'Neal's greatest film... <laughs> or worst film. After Steel, Kazam. <laughs> With the rapping genie. Yeah, so not exactly uh, uh, an illustrious directing career... Before or since, you know, not yeah. not horrible necessarily. Well. I mean, these someone's <laughs> got to direct these films, <laughs> do they? Kazam. <laughs> yeah, not exactly the 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 best remedy <laughs> for what? So, sorry, <laughs> if, someone... I said I said remedy. Maybe that's what I'm thinking. If you... I meant resume. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't stop hysterically laughing. Put on the air up there and you'll stop in a moment. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. And, uh, you know, do a double feature of air up there and Kazam and... Uh, and then just jump out a window. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. His life will have lost all meaning. Go to the air out there. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I mean, I think the reason they hired him ultimately is because he was a TV director. If they're having all these creative battles with people, you know, who want to shift the vision, it makes a lot of sense that they hire a guy who's known for just doing what the showrunner wants. So I really think the producers and Steve D'Souza were the one calling the shots on Running Man. That might be the case. Or maybe yeah. maybe some bean counter in the uh, TriStar uh, boardroom decided, uh, you know, we've got to save $11 million and we've already burned up another two and a half going through these other seven directors. Right. And that's why you got Paul Michael Glazer. And Arnie did not like Paul Michael Glazer. No, he did not. <laughs> He, he had nothing but critical things to say about his direction of the film at the time and has had nothing but critical things to say about the direction of the film since. And he also used his clout to boot Running Man out of the summer release date that the producers wanted because he uh, made the move it to get out of the way of Predator, which turned out to be a good move because I think Predator would have probably overshadowed it a lot had they been released in the same period of time. It's kind of hard to imagine them, but the uh, the theaters releasing two Schwarzenegger films at the same time. Like heaven, right? That would have been, I mean, it's hard to imagine a worse marketing mistake. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, this movie, though, you know, it did okay. And uh, I think its legacy has been way stronger than its performance at the time. Tony, mm-hmm. going back to your youthful days, what was your... <laughs> <laughs> that's a long time Cameron (laughs) let's hop in the time capsule and go back to 1987 the year this was released okay (laughs) what was your first experience with this movie I actually can't remember (laughs) boy this is making for interesting radio isn't it (laughs) forgetful navel gazing (laughs) what's better Um, I actually can't recall the first time I've seen it. It's one of those films that I don't think I... there's Well, I, it's not even I don't think... My parents were sufficiently responsible that there is no way I would have been able to go see this <laughs> film uh, at, at, at 7 or 8 or whatever I was. But uh, I do think that... Uh, I mean, I probably saw it when I was maybe 13, 14, uh, and can't really remember my initial impressions about it, but it is a movie that has... Uh, like most Schwarzenegger fans, this movie's grown on me since then immeasurably. How about you, Cam? When, when did you first see this film? I think, and I'm just sounding like a broken record at this point, I saw this on the Tough Guy Thursdays uh, you know, weekly event on my local cable network, whatever. I can't even remember what channel. <laughs> there is no way that this Tough Guy Thursdays show was weekly because it, it seems like you have seen... Yeah. That every movie you have ever seen was on this Tough Guy Thursdays. A lot of that's the thing when it, cable with, program. With the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, almost all of them were. Up until we got to the later ones like the in the nineties that I was seeing theatrically. I think by then that that whole weekly programming thing had phased out. But yeah, I saw Running Man through that. It's funny because I have nothing but fond memories of, of watching Running Man. I know I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, as a kid I was someone who really loved entertainment with really colorful bad guys that was to me was actually like the death knell of an action movie was if i thought the villain was boring and here was running man which has nothing but colorful villains Mm -hmm. Uh, you know it's like arnie going up against one after another after another and um it's funny like i know i enjoyed it but i don't recall watching it that many times i think i maybe saw it twice as a kid and that was about it and then i would later buy it on dvd and i you know watched it since then but 
it's for some reason, despite hitting all the sensibilities I had as a kid that, you know, my preferred choices in films, it wasn't one that I revisited. And I have absolutely no idea why. I'd have to go back in time and ask, you know, 12-year-old me why that was. I did have the opportunity, uh, thankfully, just last year, uh, one of the local independent theaters actually released this film. Uh, one Night Only. Yeah, One Night Only. And I don't know if you remember, that was during a horrendous snowstorm. It was, but we made it out for it. And it was not easy. Like, I almost got stranded several points. Yeah, well, there wasn't a lot of people in the theaters. Uh, no. There is Cameron and I, and I think we managed to have... We brought a few people. We brought a few people, but there wasn't a lot, uh, there wasn't a lot more people there. Which leads me to believe that maybe I hold Running Man in a higher regard than a lot of the people of the great <laughs> city of Metro Vancouver do. I would say that's fairly accurate. You know, Tony, this movie is now 30 years plus old. What are your thoughts on Running Man? I love this movie. Okay. Uh, this movie, I think, is one of Schwarzenegger's best. It's maybe not quite up there with uh, you know, Terminator 2 or Conan the Barbarian. It doesn't have the prestige of like Predator or yeah, Terminator. No, but it's it's definitely one of his more memorable films, and it's one of his movies that I can just watch over and over again. Uh, the characters I think are so comic book like, and the movie's just so relentlessly entertaining. Yes, that uh, I, I I love sitting down and watching this film, and. For those of you who have a little bit of an 80s fetish, if you're into uh, dance numbers and synthwave <laughs> and uh, sneering villains, um, right? and Jesse Ventura at his absolute finest. Yeah, I want to get to him later because yeah, he's of, amazing. Of course, but uh, you know, for me, this is a movie that's just endlessly entertaining. Yeah, I agree. I love this movie. Um, I, I don't put it on the same level as like your Terminator 1 and 2 or Predator. To me, I guess I look at it as like the maybe the best Arnold Schwarzenegger B-level movie. Like I don't think it's as good as say True Lies, which I hold on the A category. But I think when you look at his sort of his mid-tier fare, which is stuff like, you know, Red Heat, Raw Deal, stuff like that. This is the best of all of them. And I think it's as fun as some of the A ones. Yeah, but in, in terms of filmmaking, it's definitely not as well made as as the the A level stuff. I'd agree with that. If if there was a movie I was going to put on the same level with, it might be maybe uh, Commando, right? Which is another movie that I can watch over and over and over again without necessarily uh, believing that it's going to win an Oscar anytime soon. Well, it did sweep the awards that year, so that that's right. Just knocked out Platoon. Was that eighty seven? I think that was the last Emperor. Yeah. Okay, so let's get to the movie itself. You know, Ben Richards, the character who in the book was sort of this desperate everyman whose, like, child was sick and his wife was forced into prostitution to pay for medicine. That stuff's all gone. Yeah. We, we now have the Ben Richards who's like a helicopter pilot framed for an assault on Bakersfield. Not to mention the Ben Richards in the book voluntarily signs up for the program in, right. or, in order to save his wife and child. Correct, yeah. And then the the game in the book is... Basically, he has to go out, he has to mail a video in every 10 or 12 hours, I think. Yeah. But he's basically out in the world. He gets bonus money for killing police officers. And mm. and for every hour he stays alive, he gets bonus money. And for each tape that he mails in, he gets money as well. Now, does it have, like, colorful henchmen? There's, if I recall, there's one who's the, the leader of the henchmen. But there's definitely not the same flamethrower-wielding... 
uh, Hawaiian hockey player uh, yeah. cast of villains that there are in the movie. Put it this way: the the movie is a lot more fun than the book. the bo- The book was a uh, uh, relentlessly dark uh, dystopian novella, and the movie is very dystopian. But it's so campy that it's fun. Like, you, you don't walk out of it feeling like this heavy weight on you from watching people suffer for two hours. No, you don't. Which is thankful. So, uh, you know, let's get into Schwarzenegger because, again, he's this helicopter pilot framed. He becomes the but- was it the butcher of Bakersfield. Right. And he's forced into this game after being in, like, a, a prison camp. And um, this is a really interesting Schwarzenegger role and in that, you know, we see in 1987 between this and Predator... They've really hammered down Schwarzenegger as this guy with a big stogie walking around, looking tough at all times. It definitely, to me, feels like this is like peak Arnold, like of, of being pure Arnoldness. Absolutely. I mean, this is the heyday. Yeah. This is that time, you know, that era between maybe uh, 85 and 94. Do you think that this character, Ben Richards, is this a well-written Schwarzenegger character? I think the character of Ben Richards really serves the purpose in this film. Yeah. Uh, he's a big, muscly guy. That's why they've picked him for this show. Right. Uh, he's been framed. Not only, has been, not only has he been framed, but he's been framed for after trying to do the right thing. Yes. So you know, everyone else in the film is clearly evil and dispensable. There's an amazing line where he's like, Oh, they want his food, goddammit! And I cracked up at that line so hard. <laughs> Absolutely. Not only is he trying to not shoot them, he's trying to give them food. <laughs> what a good guy. And what a travesty that he's on this show. Yeah. So when you look at this in 1987, like how do you hold his performance as Ben Richards up against Dutch and Predator? I mean, the Dutch role is, is a little bit more of a serious role. The Predator movies... Um, Definitely less comic book like, right? Uh, and more of just a straight action horror movie, yeah, uh, or suspense movie. Whereas the the Running Man is a little bit more over the top, but it holds up pretty well. You really do feel though that these two movies they were very much writing the character as Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's right. They by the time this script was finalized, they knew who was in the role. Yeah, like they weren't writing like Conan the Barbarian and let's find an actor. You know, it it definitely feels like they're like right an Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, very thinly veiled version of, of uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, and I mean, he's got some very recognizable or memorable lines in this film. Tons, uh, and and it works really well. Yeah, I agree. So let's get into the actual like uh, the kind of the guts of the movie, if you will, uh, not the ones released from Buzzsaw, but uh, <laughs> after the chainsaw incident, but. Uh, <laughs> I think this movie's really cool in that it really breaks down its action into these phases where he goes up against these various gladiators. So I want to talk well, about these gladiators. Well, well, before we even get into the gladiators, yes. I mean, the movie breaks down the the action before that. I mean, everyone remembers the Running Man for um, uh, Schwarzenegger fighting the Stalkers yes. in the actual Running Man show. But before we even get to the Stalkers, there's... Uh, the great scene at the airport with him running right. and the the net gun. And before that, I believe, there's the uh, the prison escape right, yeah. uh, a scene, which uh, it's amazing to me that in the future of 2017, you'd think that the guard would have one of those asterisk symbols on <laughs> when typing in the secure password. Right. 
but uh, apparently that's not the case. And and those are pretty good action scenes in and of themselves. For sure, yeah, yeah. I, I actually still do remember. I don't remember the first time I saw the film, but the first time I saw um, the prisoner's head blow off, yeah, I, yeah. I remember thinking to myself, whoa, this is a serious film. Me too. I have the exact same memory. And I think I saw the TV edit, so you didn't quite see it. But you, they showed enough of it that it still left an impact. And then seeing it on DVD years later, I was like, oh, this is glorious. It's even better than I remembered. <laughs> but, you know, let's get to the actual action scenes that I think everyone remembers, which is the stuff against the stalkers. You know, at this point, you know, Arnie's joined by his two colleagues, played by Yafet Kodo and uh, uh, Marvin McIntyre. Um <laughs> not 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 the most well known uh you know when you're holding up Yafit Koto yeah. and Marvin McIntyre probably Yafit Koto is going to be the most memorable of those two. Yeah, I mean he was Kananga of course in uh, Live and Let Die as well as uh he was in the movie Alien. He's great in that. But definitely neither him nor uh, Marvin J McIntyre got the best to work with in Running Man. But you know he's you know Schwarzenegger and the two of them are also joined by Maria Conchita Alonso. As uh, a musician who works for the TV show, who winds up in the TV show. And inexplicably works out in lingerie. Yes. <laughs> Very common. <laughs> and and who I think we saw last in uh, Predator 2. Yes, that's right. But she shows up as well. And they go up first off. Let's talk about the sequence opposite Sub-Zero. And that is Professor Toru Tanaka, who is pretty amazing in this movie. He is apparently the favorite choice of, like, the old woman who's the big fan of uh, Running Man, Mrs. McArdle. Yeah, and starting off with Sub-Zero really gets it going with a bang. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess it's not... You haven't technically started off with Sub-Zero. You've started off with um, Richard Dawson... As Killian, And yeah. Jesse Ventura sure. as, the, as the supporting heavy. Yeah. But uh, once you get into the Stalkers... You know, that's when you really get a sense that this movie's a little bit out of control. Yes. So let's talk about the Sub-Zero sequence. Because in this part, we see Tanaka skating around, knocking these guys up and down the ice, throwing, what is it, uh, McIntyre into, like, a net that closes on him. And what brings him down, Tony? Barbed wire. That's right. Barbed wire around the neck. And we get the immortal Arnold Schwarzenegger line upon killing him. Hey, Killian. <laughs> Here is Sub-Zero. Now plain Zero. <laughs> Which might be the worst Arnold Schwarzenegger line of all time. Are you kidding me? I love that line. And maybe the best as well. <laughs> uh, <it's, laughs> it, it is definitely maybe not something that a normal person would say. Yes. After uh, cutting someone's throat open with barbed wire. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you're going to mug for the camera and uh, give Yafet Koto a low five as you walk away from a corpse, well, sure. you got to think on your feet. Sub-Zero as a character, you know, as, as a stalker, I think Tanaka's really fun to watch taking these guys down. <laughs> uh, Is Sub-Zero one of your favorites? I'd say so. I, I can really see why that old woman... <laughs> Picked him first. And, you know, and it is kind of concerning. Like, what if she hadn't picked him? Because it seems like this um, this course that they're in, this destroyed city, yeah. uh, that it's never really quite clear, by the way, what exactly uh, the, the playing field is. Right. But uh, wouldn't it have been a shame if they had that ice rink all prepared and ready to go and somebody didn't call Sub-Zero? <laughs> that would have really sucked. <laughs> Yeah, I guess the I guess the show has the kind of budget that they can they yeah. can do that kind of thing with. Yeah, Re rely on contingencies. Okay, well let's move on to the next one, which is a tag team, 
And when they said tag team, I realized that, you know, wrestling was a big deal at this time period, too. The WWF was a huge phenomenon. Not the World Wildlife Fund. No, not <laughs> No, not them. This was WWE before they were WWE. And I remember going to the WWF show in Vancouver. It was a big deal, and I could see that they were drawing a lot of influence from the WWF in this film. But let's move into the tag team, which is Dynamo and Buzzsaw. And, of course, Dynamo is the opera-singing electro guy played by Erlen Van Lith. And then, of course, Buzzsaw played by Gus Rethwich. Um, I just want to say up front... I think Buzzsaw may be one of the most unpleasant men I've ever seen in a motion picture. <laughs> really? So you think... He unsettles me just looking at him. You think Buzzsaw's more unpleasant than Dynamo? Well, I mean, okay. I mean, Dynamo is a stated rapist. That is true. The acts that Dynamo does are worse, in a, in, for sure. But just looking at Buzzsaw makes me ill. <laughs> <laughs> but again, both of these characters coming on uh coming on scene. Yeah. Um again just reinforce that hey, you know what? Sub Zero wasn't just a one off. Yeah. This movie's gonna <laughs> really stick it in your face just how crazy the stalkers are. Yeah, I mean Sub Zero was a great opening act because in a normal movie he would be the final act. You know, he would be like the big henchman or something waiting near the end. That's right. Yeah. And say so you have uh Buzzsaw who uh has a a motorcycle with a chainsaw attachment. Right. And then Dynamo, uh, who is dressed in a Christmas light suit. Sure. And drives a go-kart around <laughs> and shoots lightning out of his hands. I like uh, the part where he like, lights up the sign that says, Clap for Dynamo. <laughs> yeah, these, these villains are incredible. <laughs> they truly are. I mean, the imagination, I think, is very underrated that's going on in this movie. I don't think people recognize just how genius this movie is on so many levels. Like, they did not just phone this in. Yeah, although I I do think, um, you know, while I might be convinced with uh, Sub-Zero, played by Professor Tanaka, yeah. and uh, Buzzsaw, as maybe those were convincing stalkers, yeah. I, I wouldn't want to be chased by Tanaka sure. and Buzzsaw yeah. um, personally in a game show. I think that'd sure. be quite scary. Um, I don't know if I feel the same way about Dynamo. No? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't know if a uh, Christmas light wearing opera singer yeah. is the most threatening thing that could come my way. Do you think that's why they pair him with Buzzsaw? It might be. It might be. Maybe they, it's a, like, maybe the prop people had already spent all the money building the suit and they thought, man, this can't be the third act. It's hard to imagine a scenario of this actual game show. Where Dynamo on his own would be a particularly threatening villain. That's right. I mean, even the ways he... I mean, he's taken down twice. He loses two fights. Yes. And quite easily, really. Quite easily. Uh, I mean, sprinklers take him down the second yeah. time. Uh, well, if you look at it, every stalker is killed by their own powers, except for Sub-Zero. Well, he's killed by the... Uh, but barbed wire isn't really his power, right? Like, you know, electricity is what kills... But the barbed wire is ringing the ice rink. Yeah, that's a stretch, though. Because if you think about it, you know, Buzzsaw is killed by his own chainsaw. Dynamo is killed by electricity. And then, of course, a Fireball by fire. You know, it's like they all kind of add up, except for the Sub-Zero one. And Captain Freedom is killed by hub Freedom. hubris. Yeah, hubris. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I feel like Dynamo is kind of a, a weaker one. And throwing in the rape elements, um, oof. <laughs> It makes his character even more unpleasant, but not in a way that's fun. 
Maybe that's what it was. Maybe his character was so unthreatening yeah. that they decided, well, we got to make him the worst. Right. I guess so. I guess so. Um, so you Morally. Know, morally. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I really enjoyed the action sequence with Buzzsaw. I think this stuff is great. Watching Arnold Schwarzenegger battle um, Gus Rethwich, I think, is a lot of fun. I mean, what a what a vicious scene. If if the uh, barbed yeah. wire around the throat scene isn't enough, I think uh, yeah. uh, you know, having a man in two with a chainsaw between the legs, yes, uh, doing a falsetto singing voice. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's pretty gruesome, and it really made me question if an audience would be able to watch this show. Like, do, do you think that pe- these people watching the Running Man show would be able to watch a man like sliced in half through the crotch? I think so. Isn't that the isn't that the point that the, the they're that numb, huh? They're that numb. You know, this is just entertainment for the masses to keep the people down, man. Yeah, bread and circuses. That's right. So you, who do you rank higher? I'm just curious between the two, between Buzzsaw and Dynamo. Oh, definitely Buzzsaw. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that one. <laughs> um, okay, so but, but I but I will say I th- I don't think this movie is made worse by Dynamo. I think it it really adds to this the. The mayhem that's going on sure. in this film. Yeah, I mean, when you've got an opera singer shooting electricity, yeah, I mean, that's definitely crazy. Uh, Fireball, to me, is a little bit of a disappointment. Played by Jim Brown. Um, I love how his, his entrance coming in on the uh, jetpack. I think that's a lot of fun. But I feel like Jim Brown doesn't have the charisma the others have. I don't know. I, I think he's, I mean, he's not as over the top, certainly. I like his hair. He. I, th- I actually think he's probably more there to deliver a little bit of exposition in the film yeah. to explain um you know that that was last year's losers sure and uh i mean jim brown's a bit of a menacing guy sure uh on screen i, I don't mars th- attacks that's right that's right yeah. and i mean i think he it's just <laughs> if anything part of part of his character is maybe lost coming after a uh a skating hawaiian uh christmas light wearing opera singer and uh chainsaw motorcyclist yeah i kind of agree with you like his gimmick is 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 that he has fire a flamethrower which is okay but uh he just doesn't feel as colorful as the other ones like you don't look at him with the same sense of fun which you know i think maybe if they just got a little crazier with the actual personality of the character you would have gotten just that extra touch more so like i kind of rank him below the first three yeah, you're probably right, although, you know, I wouldn't want to be chased by Fireball either. No. Now, let's get to Jesse Ventura as Captain Freedom. Uh, he is amazing. He's spectacular. Jesse Ventura at his absolute best. There is a sequence early in the movie. It's actually the scene you referred to with Maria Conchita Alonso's character working out in her lingerie to a uh, exercise program hosted by Jesse Ventura. That program alone justifies this entire movie (laughs) it's pretty amazing it really actually i think gives a little bit of insight into what kind of person jesse ventura probably is (laughs) which is totally insane (laughs) i like how it also comes on i mean some of the editing in this film it reminded me a little bit of uh robocop yeah um you know i think dystopian uh definitely like the commercials and stuff like there's a there's that whole like climbing for dollars sequence that's right it feels very robocop like the uh, i'd buy this for a dollar you're right that whole sequence with jesse ventura and all of his scenes in the movie the the scene where he's telling killian that he wants to go man to man with schwarzenegger and he's wearing the the hilariously fake yeah. prop arm did you want to see how those work though because i did 
Yeah, I mean, I am I am curious to see how that arm worked. Uh, I'm curious. I actually would have liked to have seen Jesse Ventura uh, be allowed to go in and and actually fight Ben Richards. Even as a kid, that bothered me that we never got to see it. And yeah. the character is actually really interesting in that he's kind of this character who's presenting like a moral point of view. While he is on board for the games themselves, he doesn't like the manipulation of the games. He believes in the purity of them. Yeah, he he believes he's a gladiator. Yeah. Uh, he's he's fighting. He's, he refers to the code of the gladiators. That's right. And he, and he kind of leaves the movie unceremoniously. Yeah, which is kind of a bummer. It is a bit of a bummer. Because there's the faked part where they, you know, staged the death of Schwarzenegger and Maria Cachita Alonso. And it was interesting. Originally, that sequence was presented in the film as taking place where you didn't know that it was faked. It was not until after the scene was over that they revealed that Schwarzenegger and Maria Cachita Alonso weren't actually killed. However, they said about 2% of the test audiences were confused by it. So they changed it so that Schwarzenegger and Alonzo were actually watching it happen. Oh, I can see how that would be confusing. Yeah. But, you know, I guess if the worst thing you have to say about a film is that it needs more Jesse Ventura, then you're doing okay. Yeah, and I just think he's so much fun. I mean, 1987, Jesse Ventura is doing this as well as Predator. It was a good year for Arnold, a good year for Jesse. Yeah, it's just so crazy. And, I mean... He is a blast. Like, he really is a blast. I wish actually Jim Brown had had some of the crazed energy that Jesse Ventura brings to this. For sure. Now, I think we should probably move on, uh, as, as tough as it is, move away from the stalkers. Yes. And maybe move into uh, some of the supporting characters. Yes. Uh, it was interesting, I thought, to see, uh, you know, Mick Fleetwood and Dweezil Zappa. What, what a bizarre casting choice. Giving profound performances. Yeah, as far as I can tell, I think Mick Fleetwood was actually playing himself. Yes. <laughs> he's referred to as Mick. So, yeah. yeah. And he's somehow become an electronics expert working in the underground. He wants to tell them about the Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and, and of course, I mean, this spots Sven's an easy, an easy sure. one in this one. For those of you just joining us, we always try and see if Sven Ole Thorsen's in a Schwarzenegger movie, and he's in this one probably his biggest role in a Schwarzenegger film. Yeah, as Sven, the security guard, right, who ultimately makes the correct moral choice, right. And then, uh, and of course, uh, Richard Dawson, who is just spectacular in this movie. Yeah, he is incredible. I think he's a fantastic villain. They give him a ton to do. And, you know, you could see another movie cutting around him a lot, like using him just a, for like a little bit, like sprinkling him in here and there, but not exploiting him to the fullest. This movie gives him a ton to do, and Richard Dawson just chews into it with every, you know, every chance he gets. He's, like, savoring this, like, crazy dialogue and playing up these situations, interacting with the audience in fun ways. Which is bizarre, actually, when you, when you think about it, because Richard Dawson isn't really... Uh, an actor, right? No. He, I mean, he's a he's a game show host. Yeah. And for him to take that, he plays the game show host so well with just a little bit of a maniacal edge. Yeah. And also plays the scenes where he's not actually on the screen so well. Yeah. Um, There's a great moment in his introduction where he's walking through the lobby of the building and, he, and the janitor accidentally bumps into him and he's like really nice towards the janitor. Oh, don't worry, don't worry. And then as soon as, you know, the janitor's out of earshot, turns to the assistant and says, 
if he's not gone by the end of the day, you'll be mopping the floors. Yeah, no, exactly. He's just so, so evil, so driven by ratings. I felt terrible for Dan the janitor. I think even as a kid that bothered me. You know, he's just an old man trying to mop the floors. Yeah, I mean, really, he's just there basically to cement that uh, Damon Killian is a total jerk. That's a great name, Damon Killian. <laughs> it is great. It's actually the original name in the book. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Really, that sounds like such an action movie name. I-, I think pretty much the only things taken from the book is that there's a Ben Richards, a Damon Killian, and a game show. Right. That makes sense. But, I mean, I think Richard Dawson's incredible, and I remember reviews for the movie were fine like they weren't it got mixed reviews mostly positive i think but the one thing that got cited a lot i remember roger ebert specifically uh he really liked richard dawson a lot in this role Mm -hmm. and it seemed like that really worked for people and you know when you look i mean i think one day we'll probably do some sort of look back on the villains of arnold schwarzenegger movies i think he ranks really high oh he, he he's got to just you know him standing in front of the camera you know screaming you know, who loves you? <laughs> and who do you love? And I love how he points at things with kind of the devil horns, you know, like the two fingers. You know. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he's he's a man just driven by uh, fame. Yes, yeah, and he gets a great comeuppance, like shot in that through that tube, through the uh, the uh, soft drink ad banner. Yeah, and he's he also has some great res- responses to Schwarzenegger, which normally Schwarzenegger, when he gives a one-liner, he has the last word. Yes. Right? Because normally, uh, after delivering a one-liner, whoever he's delivered it to is usually uh, on the way to heaven. Right. Um, but I, I love the scene with uh, just before Schwarzenegger shot down the, the psychedelic tube into the uh, game area. I got a question for you. That would break your neck, right, in real life? Uh, it, racing through that thing. Let's, into a let, net. let's not think about that. I, that was all I could think about, though. It was like that would probably break your neck, wouldn't it? Let's not think about it too much. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, spines are different in the future. Sure, but twenty seventeen. Uh, but where Schwarzenegger, <laughs> where Schwarzenegger says, "Gillian, I'll be back." Yeah, and uh, just the look that uh, Richard Dawson gives him and says, "Only in a rerun," and then turns yeah. turns to the crowd with his arms open. It's just just amazing. Yes, he's. Got this great, this like layer of sleaze, and it's interesting because you know I don't think, as you said, Richard Dawson's not really an actor. It's actually really impressive he was able to create this very exaggerated, grotesque persona, and it seems seamless. Like it doesn't seem like he's struggling in any any moment. You never feel like you're watching uh, an untrained actor kind of struggling to do this sort of thing. Yeah, it actually makes me really want to see Richard Dawson do other roles. I don't think he's alive, but... No, I know he's not alive, but, uh, you know, I would have liked to have seen him do other stuff. Like, right. if, if there was a uh, a bunch of Richard Dawson films out there, I'd like to see them, based on this film. Yeah. Do you think there would have been a sequel if this movie had done just a little better? It feels like the premise is there to do one. You have this revolution taking place, and I want to get to that revolution in just a minute, but... It's hard to say. You know, the 80s were not as sequel driven as movies are today it's I, yeah. I i find every movie i go to see in the theaters today uh they leave it open for a sequel yeah i actually don't think they were thinking about that in a lot of the films that they were making in the 1980s they were you know if a sequel came out of it they would uh they would tack on and um retcon and do whatever they needed to do yeah. in order to make a sequel happen but they weren't thinking about it up front right no i mean that yeah completely I mean, a movie like, you know, RoboCop, for example, does get a sequel, but they're not setting up RoboCop 2. 
Right. Yeah, yeah. So let's get to the revolution aspect of this movie. Um, okay, I got some questions. <laughs> so maybe some hard questions. Well, uh, well, I, well, I don't know if I can answer any <laughs> questions, let alone hard questions. Does it make sense that you would be able to hack into the network broadcast from the actual battlefield where the contestants are running around? They explain that with some super unconvincing techno babble as to why that was necessary. It yeah. seems like the absolute worst place yeah. to organize a revolution is inside a television studio. Yes. But, yeah, hey, it works. Uh, the The actual revolutionaries, no offense to Mick Fleetwood and Dweezil Zaba, um, <laughs> but... I wasn't totally convinced that they could really take on anyone a, a ICS's armed guards sure. with much effectiveness. Yeah. I never really understood too, like what is the um like how much power does ICS have and how far out is its power spread? Like is all of it contained within this one building? Well, I, they they make a few references to it, right? Yeah. You know, I think Killian makes a reference to calling the president. Right. And uh they they say oh he's a military prisoner you'll yeah. you'll never get him and uh, Killian says well they'll get him for me yeah so what they're implying is that TV is ruling the people and ICS is the most powerful entity in TV yeah which makes it more powerful than just about anything else it's interesting because you know you look at a lot of this movie and uh, you feel like you know it was very prescient and not just uh, because of you know the eighties <laughs> nostalgia. But also, um, the whole reality TV craze, you know, you look at, obviously, like, Survivor would launch in the year 2000, and reality TV is just a commonplace thing now, and some of the shows used to get really insane. If you didn't, if you haven't seen it, there's actually a Korean game show called The Running Man. Yeah, yeah, there is, yeah, I saw that, yeah. <laughs> Which is uh, not quite as violent, but has the same idea. And a lot of running. <laughs> a lot of running, Yeah, uh, but a mix of men and women. <laughs> right, uh, you know, you did have American Gladiators that came out after this, after this movie, but, you know, reality TV, this really saw that that would be something that people would be all fixated on in the future. There's also the sense that, like, <laughs> we see a lot of uh, issues with fake news. <laughs> in this, what? In the, 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 you know, the government is working with the entertainment arm to basically broadcast propaganda. Caref careful, Cam. We're trying to build <laughs> listenership here. I want to talk about fake news. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, like stuff like that is really interesting to touch on, you know, going from, you know, the year this comes out to now. It feels like really eerie when you watch this movie now. It, yeah, absolutely. And the some of the takes that they have on media, even though, I mean, we're, we really are past the uh, cable TV era. but The media, it tells lies. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, more, no more Trump impressions. Yeah. <laughs> from you anyways yeah. <laughs> but but you look at the the things that they're showing even just looking at the internet and social media and media in general yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of the stuff about just how ubiquitous and controlling the media is i think applies across uh, all these different media platforms as well oh yeah for sure you know when this movie wraps up and you know ben richards has taken down the running man games and all that sort of stuff did you have any real sense of optimism that this rebellion was going to do any good in the larger scale? Well, everyone seemed optimistic. They did, but should they? I, I felt optimistic. Just be, you know, it's just contagious. 
But are they going to take down the presidency and all that sort of thing? Was that their goal? I thought they were just taking. I don't know. I thought they were just taking down the network. Yeah, that's what it seemed like. That was maybe that's step one. And of course, you did get the impression that with what was shown on the screen, that television is a lie. Mm-hmm. That now, uh, you know, the opiate of the masses has been diluted, and and people are just going to give up tv entirely right in reality i don't know if that would actually be the case probably probably a new show would be on the air pretty quick and uh but everyone seemed like they were really happy about the way things had turned out and made me happy for them mrs mccardo came around she saw the light yeah exactly so you know arnold schwarzenegger movies are all about the action how do you feel like Paul Michael Glaser did actually shooting the action in this movie? Because that, I think, is one of my kind of issues with the movie, if I have an issue. I mean, the action... It's serviceable. The action was a little bit different yeah. than some of the other Schwarzenegger movies in that there there wasn't a lot of gunplay. Right. Uh, so it was more, really, when you get right down to it, more wrestling scenes than or just characters kind of running and getting knocked over yeah there's definitely a couple of scenes where i really noticed it uh especially the buzzsaw dynamo scenes on the vehicles right Uh, you do kind of gotta wonder uh if this golf cart is that unstable and it seemed like in every scene that they they cut that they cut just before this thing crashed horribly A lot, a lot of scenes of it nose diving towards the ground, and then the next scene of it landing <laughs> flat. You know th- those kind of edits. <laughs> right. Uh, but I, I agree with you. I mean, some of the some of the edits on the action were maybe a little weak, but on the whole, I think that the action actually holds up pretty well. For me, I mean, I don't think Paul Michael Glaser is a good action director, but I don't think you know. It's funny in a weird way. I don't think that really hurts the movie at all. Like, the joy of Running Man for me is, like, the imagination, the world building, the performances, and the kills. And, you know, it has great examples of all of those things. The actual action itself is, like, I think it's fine. I think it gets the job done. But it does make me wonder what, say, like, a James Cameron or or a Paul Verhoeven or a John McTiernan would have done shooting these sequences... Like, I love, you know, the outcomes of them all, but they feel very, like, well, they don't feel like a director who's a particularly adept action director doing them. But they work. You still have at least the geography of what's going on. You know, we are not in, like, shaky camsville like we would be in the decades to come. You know, it's fairly clean-looking stuff, but it doesn't have that sort of, like, visceral energy or pace to it that I think, you know, a little bit of a better director would have brought. Yeah, I don't know. It's tough to say with the if any of the directors you named, I'm pretty sure for example, I'm pretty sure that none of the contestants would have been wearing those ridiculous unitards. Yeah. It's uh, true. You know, they w- I think for all of those directors that you named actually, it would have been darker a darker movie. Yeah. And all of them would have toned down the silliness of this movie which uh, might would have heard it might have worked maybe i mean yeah. but it would have been a different movie yeah uh and it wouldn't be running man which which people i think kind of remember as being one of the truly silliest and over-the-top schwarzenegger films yeah no i agree with that you know you say the silliest and one of the great thing about running man is is that it is just a factory for arnold catchphrases and I'm curious, like, do you have a favorite in this movie? Oh, it's 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 got to be when he grabs the camera 
and uh, says, you know, I uh, I hope you left enough room for my fist because I'm going to ram it into your stomach and rip out your goddamn spine. <laughs> And then he smashes the camera. It's, uh, I mean, <laughs> that, that is probably my favorite uh, Arnold line out of any movie. Just just from its sheer ridiculousness. The, yeah. the Sub-Zero line that we've already talked yes. about. Um, what happened to Buzzsaw? He had to split. <laughs> just so good. I think that might be my favorite in the sense that that feels like a perfect classic Arnold Schwarzenegger one. That and that hit the spot. You know, I think, like, those two are great. The other ones fall into the more exaggerated. Like, we're really reaching and going wacky with these. Yeah. Hey, Christmas bulb. <laughs> yeah. Or, hey, Christmas tree. <laughs> I think he also calls Dynamo lightning head. Or <laughs> I can't recall exactly. But <laughs> just, he, he really is just just laying them down. He, I think he says more one-liners than non-one-liners in this movie. <laughs> Do you think this movie could be remade? Oh, I sure hope not. It does seem like one I'm surprised they haven't remade. It seems like they're remaking anything. I think yeah. they're just out of ideas. Uh, I suspect that if they remade this movie, they would probably just miss the point of it and would make it really serious and really forgettable. Yeah, I don't think they would have as much fun with it. You know, I, I'm thinking of like the Total Recall remake versus the original Total Recall. Like the remake is playing it way more... Like It's not having those kind of weird... Uh, asides or or just moments of bizarre invention that like Paul Verhoeven has. Yeah, I actually I didn't mind the Total Recall remake, but I know what you're saying. It, it just uh, it's not not quite the same film. Yeah, yeah, it's just playing it too straight. And I think the key to what makes Running Man so beloved with people is that it doesn't. It's really really weird. I mean, actually, that's a good point. I mean, if you want to think about what would running man have been like if paul verhoeven had directed i mean we had total recall yeah what, four years later yeah uh which is um three years yeah three years yeah um and he did robocop the same year in 87 so yeah so you know i think that gives us a pretty good idea which uh you know paul verhoeven's no stranger to weirdness but you look at total recall and it's definitely still weird but uh definitely a darker yeah and less madcap action film yeah like this is a movie where horrible things happen to people it's a very grim scenario this dystopian world is kind of depressing but you kind of walk out laughing out of this movie <laughs> yeah you're kind of invested in the you, you feel yeah. the, good, the good guys have won the you're bad, having fun the bad guys have lost and the villains are all very like boo hiss types yeah there's no redeeming qualities in yeah any of the villains no no and and outside of dynamo's rapiness there's no sense of like kind of like real world ugliness to them. They all feel like cartoons. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. And so, you know, I think it's a lot of fun. So how many times have you seen Running Man at this point in your life? Honestly, I've probably seen it. <laughs> it's actually embarrassing to say. Given given that I will sometimes we'll come on here. Uh, we've talked actually a lot about how I still haven't seen Terminator Genesis. And you keep making me save myself for it. Yeah. As if it's going to put a ring on my finger. <laughs> um, but I've probably seen Running Man uh, along with some of the other Schwarzenegger films of this, this kind of caliber that we've talked about um, maybe 15 or 20 times. Wow. Wow, that's a uh, lot. I watched this movie a lot as a, as a kid, and I yeah. it's one I actually try and revisit probably every every couple of years, even now, just because I, I think it's a wonderful movie. Yeah, I mean, it's one that I've seen far less than you know his other big classics like Predator or Terminator, but 
it's one I, you know I just know I'm gonna revisit Running Man through the course of my life. I'll be like 85 years old, 90 years old, and I'll be like, someone put on Running Man. <laughs> <laughs> Children gather around. <laughs> Let me show you how it used to be in the good old days. <laughs> well, it, you know, I think uh, the sign of a really good uh, action movie, especially, is if you were just sitting around in the in the hospital waiting room and someone handed you a remote control to the TV there and you're just flipping through and deciding what to watch. Yeah. And before you get to the sports reel, you stop on the, the TV edit of Running Man, you'd probably just leave it on that channel. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, and we should just say, just for fun, uh, listeners of the podcast who are fans of Running Man should just jump over to YouTube and search out the Commodore 64 Running Man video game and you can watch a playthrough of that game. And it's pretty hilarious. Oh, I, I absolutely forgot that they had done the a Running Man video game. I've I've never played it. Uh, it doesn't look like it would be very fun. No. To play. It's more uh, fun to watch as just like a, a YouTube clip. A, a little bit of a better game that actually is fun to play and that I have played was Smash TV. For those of you who remember that one, which was a video game that was based on Running Man, but uh, it had I, quotes from RoboCop as well. Yeah, it was uh, right around that era that it was released. I think 1990. Yeah. Um, that game, actually, I had it growing up for the NES, and I loved it. And then my dad gave away my NES when I was at school one day. And I came home, he's like, I gave, I gave it to a guy at work. <laughs> was there any reason for it? No, he just thought that they might like it. And I, I was like, I was like shattered. And so when I got a little older and had disposable income... I bought another, not a Nintendo, but a system called the Retro that plays Nintendo and Super NES cartridges. And I went and rebought all of my original NES games, and I bought many more than that. I probably have like over 100 NES games at this point. But the one game I haven't been able to get that I wanted to get that I had was Running Man. Or Smash, sorry, was, was Smash you TV. You don't want Running Man. No, I don't want Running Man. Was Smash TV because it's really expensive. It's like I can't find a copy of it for like 10, 15 bucks. Well, I think that uh, you and your dad should probably have a talk. Uh, I've been in therapy ever since. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't blame you. That's pretty serious daddy issues for uh, a father to give away his uh, you know, prepubescent son's Nintendo entertainment system. <laughs> well, I was like 16 or 17. I don't know about prepubescent. <laughs> I knew you in high school, Cam. I... <laughs> <laughs> that's true <laughs> yeah so but nonetheless it shattered me and uh oh i don't i don't blame you i you know did you still talk to your father no, <laughs> no. We're, we're joking of course cam's father is a lovely man <laughs> just, exactly he's just a little givey yeah exactly <laughs> so maybe we can leave your childhood behind for a bit yeah cam. let's leave those turbulent uh, teenage years behind good idea and just get back to kind of wrapping up the, the movie running man you know, Tony, like, what are your final thoughts on this movie? You know, this is the umpteenth time you watched it, as you said. What is your takeaway this time from Running Man? Uh, no different, really. I mean, there's a reason why I've watched it a bunch of times, and why if people are looking for Schwarzenegger movies, I'll generally recommend Running Man as probably a top five or six, anyways. What's the number one you would give people? Ooh, that's tough. Uh, probably Predator. Okay. Maybe Terminator 2. Right. But... Once you get to the top five or six Schwarzenegger movies, I find that as far as recommendations go, they they get interchanged pretty quick. Right. I recommend Maggie. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, yeah. I'm a, I'm a big uh, 
Aftermath fan. Oh, you've seen it? Uh, yeah, actually, I, I've already watched Aftermath. I can't wait to revisit it. I can't wait to visit it. Yeah, it's a real sunny movie. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my thoughts on Running Man are like, this movie, against all odds, should not hold up. It's very 80s. It's, you know, che- intentionally cheesy and campy. Directed by, you know, a TV director with a pretty bad filmography. But it works. Like, all the pieces came together. Yeah. And this movie holds up. I think it's still tons of fun. And, like, even if people are going to it and just watch it just to kind of laugh, I still think there's merit to that. And I think the the movie brings enough genuine quality and uh, imagination that, hey, like, it, you know, it still works. If anything, it seems to get better with time. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, for sure. I think so. It's definitely grown in legacy. And it it is interesting that Arnold Schwarzenegger was so down on the direction of it and... I think was very, uh, very, very in Predator's corner over that movie. You know, when he had the two movies coming out that same year. Right. He was very much pushing Predator. And even since was like throwing a bigger deal over the Predator anniversary than anything to do with Running Man. So I think he, he even kind of regards it as one of his lessers. But I think Running Man did a lot of good for him in the long run. Uh, I think so. That was a very bad pun I went out on there. But, Tony, <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing next week? Well, next week we're doing Killing Gunther, which I'm I'm looking forward to seeing. It's, uh, as far as I'm aware, it's Schwarzenegger's newest film. Uh, I still haven't seen it, or at least newest film that's out uh, out on uh, video. Right. Uh, I, I still haven't seen it, um, but the, the trailer looks uh, really good. It looks like... Um, it's a genuine Schwarzenegger vehicle. I can't wait to see him just like kind of joking around for like ninety minutes. I think yeah. it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, it, lo- it looks it looks great. Uh, I'm I'm avoiding reading actually any reviews or anything of it uh, up front. Just same. I want to go into it with some fresh eyes. Well, that's the pleasure we get with this podcast is getting to do some of these Arnold Schwarzenegger movies we haven't seen. And just not really knowing anything. Like, I don't really know that much. Say, you know, you've watched Aftermath, but I haven't. Or uh, I don't really know anything about Hercules in New York. So, you know, Killing Gunther falls into that for me. For those of you who are listening, uh, by all means, go out and download or stream or rent or buy or do what you got to do to watch Killing Gunther. I can't recommend it one way or another, but uh, we're looking forward to going through it and visiting it next week. Awesome. Okay, so you can also find us on Twitter at ArnieGeddonPod. I'm at Cam, V as in Van Lint, comma, Erland, equals Dynamo Smith. You can also email us at ArnieGeddonPod at gmail.com. You can also find us at our website, ArnieGeddon.com. You can reach me, Tony G, uh, Tony, the name, G, the letter, at ArnieGeddon.com. And you can also find appearances by both of us at the Star Trek podcast, Subspace Transmissions. Me, only occasionally as a guest, it's Cam Starring Vehicle. Sure. Okay, we'll be back with Killing Gunther. Killing Gunther.